Hello and welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Alison Hill, State Chief Investment Officer at QIC, and each week we invite our listeners to take 10 and to get an update on economics, markets, and other topics of interest for institutional investors. Each podcast, I'm joined by QIC's Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Hello, Matthew. Hi, Alison. Good morning. So labour market data dominated the news cycle last week with both wages and employment numbers. I thought it was a pretty interesting set of uh, data, actually. So wages growth eased back a bit from 3.7 to 3.6, with quarterly wage growth seeming stalled at around 0.8% since the December quarter. That in and of itself is, you know, I guess understandable. But what is strange when you compare that to the employment numbers a little bit? You know, we just don't seem to be getting that wages outbreak, despite the fact that unemployment rate is sub 4%, and it has been for some time, so since the start of 2022. Why do you think that wages aren't failing to break higher given that low unemployment? Yes, well, you know, that seemingly lack of sensitivity of wage growth to the unemployment rate, it's actually an issue that goes back even before COVID. Uh, It's something that we had been observing, uh, you know, largely after the post the GFC decade. And it's not just particular to Australia. It's sort of um, also you saw this sort of um, insensitivity of wage growth to uh, low unemployment rates, say, in the US and in the UK. Now, some of the arguments that have been put forward uh, have been, you know, particularly post-COVID, there's been a strong reduction in union membership, for example, and the resulting decline in union uh, wage bargaining power, for example, um, means that uh, there's that that's an argument for breaking down that sensitivity of low um, unemployment rate to, to wages. It's also post-COVID, there was a dominance of, you know, that so-called free market thinking and governments implemented um, policies to, you know, sort of liberalise or free up the labour market. And that also has been argued it tilted the power over wage bargains, you know, towards the employers away from the uh, the employees. And then finally, globalisation thought to continue to suppress wage growth due to competition from low-cost imports from developing economies have, of course, had low um, uh, labour costs. Now, what do I think about all of that? Well, I think the drop in import prices had contributed to the sort of low wage growth despite lowish unemployment rates. But at the moment, you know, the era of that p- period is, is finished. I don't think it it is got anything to do with uh, with import prices. In fact, quite the contrary at the moment. I think the answer is more straightforward than all of those sort of um, answers, Alison. And I think it's really got to do with the collapse in productivity. Now, mm. we have productivity growth that is very weak at the moment. So the unit labour costs or the, the cost to producers, the, the labour costs of producing one unit of output, so to speak, the unit labour costs, that's actually running at 8% at the moment, annual rate mm-hmm. of 8%. Now, that's a very high rate of cost growth to us businesses to absorb. In fact, it's it's even with the elevated rate of inflation, it's two percentage points higher than than inflation currently. So within that context of such elevated levels of uh, unit labour costs, actually wage growth of around 3.5% where it currently sits, probably actually quite strong in my view. Yeah, I'd probably tend to agree with you. And it's certainly been something that the uh, RBA has been monitoring closely. But just talking about wages growth, it's potential that the pressure on that might even reduce potentially even a little bit further. We've seen a, a fall in jobs growth albeit small, but $15,000. So it's the worst jobs report we've had since, you know, COVID. So it is probably what the Mm. RBA is wanting to see. But, you know, and we've also seen unemployment partially as a result, you know, tick from 3.5 to 3.7. So heading in the right direction. But 
Given that, are interest rates and inflation finally taking their toll on the labour market? Is that is that your view? Well, the monthly labour market figures, as we know, Alison, can be volatile. You know, we also saw a, uh, a negative employment read back in April early this year, and then only to see it spike to, um, you know, really strong positive levels over May and, and maintain that up, those, those strong growth rates until uh, this month's release. ABS has also highlighted you know, the school holiday effect as having reduced employment this month. Now, the ABS have been having trouble adjusting um, the seasonal pattern in this post-COVID world where people have sort of, you know, taking holidays at different times. And that's that's perhaps also a, uh, a factor in, in suppressing the uh, employment outcome this month. And then when we look forward, it's likely we may see some rebound in the labour market data. But having said all of that, Alison, when we consider the weight of data that's now unfolding, including weak consumer spending, the sharp fall in housing investment, the slowdown in China that's unfolding, and the subsequent fall in in our international terms of trade, then I think we are starting to enter a period of weaker labour market performance on average heading into the rest of the year. I, I believe it is the case uh, Alison, that the labour market just can't defy gravity forever. <laughs> Indeed, no. You're listening to Alison Hill and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where I'm discussing markets and economics with Dr Matthew Peter. Matthew, last week we also had the RBA minutes released, and there's some speculation from the RBA in those minutes that perhaps rates at the current setting was was enough to get us back into that target band of 2 to 3% that that the bank is trying to achieve. And I think from some of the comments you've just made now with the, you know, the weight of evidence that's starting to build, that perhaps maybe we're at the peak, you know, as the kids like to say, are we there yet? But I think maybe even if we are there, which hearing what you've said might be your view, question perhaps just as importantly, how long will we be there for? Is it going to be higher for longer? That's certainly some of the rhetoric that we're starting to to feel in the markets with the central bank commentary. Even the even the Fed have said something along those lines that, you know, there's potential upside risks. So maybe rates stay higher for longer. Well, Alison, these wage and labour market data, along with the June quarter CPI data, which if you remember, the CPI came out weaker than what was expected. And of course, the sentiment expressed in the minutes that you just mentioned. I think it means that the RBA is well and truly in pause mode at the moment. Even given the elevated unit labour costs that I alluded to, I don't think that's enough reason for the RBA to keep hiking at this at this point. Mm. Um, however, we will still be keeping an eye on inflation and particularly inflation expectations in the market to see that there's no loss of confidence that the RBA indeed can get inflation back within the 2-3% band, even in the face of elevated unit labour costs. And the other emerging issue that the RBA um, has to face, which is the the, the falling dollar as, as uh, the China economy continues to underperform and seemingly going back into recession. Now, to date, the good news is that the market inflation expectations have been very well behaved, both at the five-year and 10-year average inflation expectation end of the inflation curve. And those expectations are sitting at 2.5%, smack in the middle of the RBA range, meaning that the market is confident that the RBA will eventually get inflation under control, notwithstanding some of the challenges. So, Matthew, sounds like the RBA is going to be very data dependent and it's a month-to-month scenario with still things at this part of the cycle 
quite sensitive to the up and the downside risks. But do you think that means potentially we'll be at this sort of level for a bit longer than the market is factoring in? That certainly is the pricing seems to be moving this way uh, a little bit during the week with uh, yields increasing. Yes, I think so. I mean, you've also got the developments overseas where the strength in the US economy is still putting pressure on the Fed potentially to to raise rates and the ECB is still raising rates. So, you know, it's, it's going to be difficult for the RBA to go into an easing cycle whilst you know, in the rest of the world, uh, interest rates are still at elevated levels, in fact, potentially even rising. You know, the, the sort of downward pressure that may place on the currency and the flow through of, the, of, of even weaker currency than we're currently experiencing mm-hmm. to inflation, I think will inhibit, if nothing else, the ability of the RBA to cut rates. And we probably will, as you say, sort of have rates on hold throughout most of 2024, I think. Uh, and interesting in and of itself that somewhat this good news of a potential soft landing in the, in the States is creating some dilemmas for the equity markets that were priced for cuts. Uh, so as those discount rates are changing, we have seen a little bit of softness this week. So it's been a been an interesting series of developments. But as you say, very data dependent and plenty of stuff to keep us interested and engaged in the markets. Matthew, thank you for joining me again. And thanks also to our listeners for taking 10.